0: So, for just a few minutes this evening, I want to look back. It's just a one-off sermon this evening. It's not part of a series uh, as we come to the end of the year. But I want to look at this passage in 1 uh, Kings, on page 301, 1 Kings chapter 19. And it's um, a really interesting chapter. It's a really interesting story. Um, and it's, uh, I, th- I think it's relevant. Uh, The principles of uh, the way God interacts and deals with Elijah uh, are, I hope, uh, instructive and encouraging for us. Because I think sometimes when we come to this time of year, to put it bluntly, we're knackered. We're absolutely exhausted. Uh, And we can be really tired spiritually. We can be like it's not a great time of year physically because there's so many bugs and uh, illnesses going around, and uh, we've been working in our lives and in the church really hard, and there, there's just that sense that the darkness comes in, and the darkness is around us, and it brings a sense of tiredness and weariness. Uh, and our situations may be very different from, Eli- from uh, Elijah's experience here, but I think the way God deals with them is very instructive, and uh, I hope encouraging for us and a reminder to us um, of the kind of God we have and also uh, the kind of faith uh, that we look to have in our lives. Uh, Corey, uh, this morning, uh, and and often when he preaches, mentions the various commentators, the various writers that have been writing uh, about the passage that we're studying. Many of the commentators, many of the writers in this passage are very harsh on Elijah. Elijah. They're very quick to judge his situation. And um, I would like to take a slightly different opinion to that this evening. I think he's often regarded as someone who is uh, running away or escaping and lacking faith. You know, he's done an amazing thing as the prophet uh, before the prophets of Baal and before Ahab and Jezebel, and he's been strong and mighty. And then all of a sudden... Uh, when he hears of jezebel's response he scurries it runs away and it seems so faithless and it says well why hasn't he just kept the faith he had in the previous story and really gone on and he people are quick to judge him as being escapist and faithless faithless but i don't think that's the case in this story uh, there's no doubt that elijah was broken and he was a broken man in the story and we're going to just unpack that for a little minute and then also look at the, gods, the way God was dealing with them, Because after what had happened, you know that the, uh, God had sent fire from heaven and had uh, 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 licked up all the water that was around the altar and had, had, had set the, the sacrifice on fire, and there was clear evidence that he had answered prayer and that God was the living God and that the prophets of Baal were worshipping a dead, uh, useless idol. But uh, Jezebel was not willing to respond to that evidence of the living God. In verse 3, we have these words. When Jezebel, um, or verse 2, Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah uh, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow. She just wasn't interested in what had happened and she just wanted to uh, destroy Elijah as a representative of God. She was determined in her unbelief and her opposition. And uh, she simply could not accept what uh, God had revealed as being uh, evidence of his living power and reality. And so she wanted to destroy God's representative, Elijah, God's anointed Elijah. So he ran from uh, that appointment he left the room. He didn't want to uh, be exposed before Jezebel and uh, his life to be taken and seemingly for the powers of unbelief and of uh, idolatry to have victory over God. But there's no doubt he was in despair. He went are told in verse 4 and sat under a broom tree and there he asked that he might die saying it is enough now lord take away my life for i'm no better than my father's there was this great sense of uh, failure at one level that uh, jezebel and dahab hadn't turned to worship the living god and he was exhausted obviously by uh, these efforts and gutted that the victory that was there and if you have time go back and read chapter 18 had been so temporary and didn't seem to have the effect that he believed uh, it was going to have and so therefore he was in despair and he was exhausted and uh, he was broken but he also couldn't see the whole picture now that's always our condition also and we'll remember that as we go on but he simply he couldn't see the whole picture. God asks him twice uh, you know, later on, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah twice explains the situation as he sees it. He says, uh, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek to take my life away also. That was his summary of the situation. That was what he saw was happening. And uh, he thought the covenant that God had made with his people was done, was finished. And he was uh, running back for whatever reason. He was going to run back to uh, Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, that place where the covenant was made. And he wanted to go there, tell God his complaint and say, this is the end it's all done it's finished so we have this guy in in dire straits and exhausted and uh, drained and feeling that really it's spiritually all over for him how did god respond to elijah in the story well we see certain things that god does and i'll I'll go on to uh, apply them uh, i think uh, into our own lives as well how did god respond God gave him sleep. In verse 5, He lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. God gave him sleep. God let him sleep. He was clearly exhausted physically by the efforts of these last years and months and days. And God gave him sleep. It was affecting his perspective. You know what it's like i know what it's like we can't sleep everything just seems out of place and everything seems to be wrong with the world god gave him sleep god sent him an angel god sent him an angel who would comfort him and who would give him food and would encourage him behold an angel touched him and said to him arise and eat and behold There was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel touched him. Encouraging to give him that touch. And he was uh, given great assurance by that heavenly companion at that moment, at that time. Huge encouragement. God went on to strengthen him uh, for the journey. Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. God didn't say, stop running. Uh, Go back. He said, you're on a journey. You're going that way. Jezebel's that way. Keep on going that way. And be strengthened for the journey. I know you have to do this. And I know you're going to the right place. I know you're heading for my covenant mountain. Know that as you go there, I'm with you. And you're not alone. And then when he gets to uh, this place, this mountain that he goes to, Mount Horeb, then we see God uh, communicating and uh, uh, speaking with Elijah uh, and reasoning with him. So we have this question. He came to the cave when he arrived at uh, uh, Horeb, and he lodged there, and the word of the Lord came to him and said, "'What are you doing here, Elijah?' Now, you could take that question in two ways. You could take that uh, in a kind of accusatory way. What on earth are you doing here, Elijah? Or you could take it as I believe you ought to take it, as God giving Elijah the opportunity to speak. Elijah, why have you come here? What are you doing here? What's the reason for you coming here? It was an invitation from God for Elijah to... Uh, pour out his heart to speak with God and to tell God what was uh, the situation that he felt, the difficulty and the the battles that he was facing. It wasn't a word of reproof. It wasn't condemnation. Uh, He was giving Elijah the opportunity to state his case against Israel and unburden his soul. And twice he does that. Twice Elijah responds and says absolutely the right thing. He says exactly what he's At one level, he's accurate. He doesn't know the whole story, but the story he does have uh, uh, at some levels is accurate because there is a case in which the people had uh, forsaken God and the covenant of God. And from that comes that very famous uh, section where God um, asks Elijah to come to the uh, uh, front of the cave and uh, God passes by and there's a a great uh, power in the wind and in the earthquake and then the fire and he's not in any of these things and then god speaks to him in a a still uh, low whisper and uh, asks him the question again and god is demonstrating to him uh, and speaking to him and revealing himself to Uh, Elijah, and reminding Elijah that there may be powerful uh, demonstrations of God's power, as there was in the previous chapter on uh, Mount Carmel. Uh, But that ultimately, God is a God who doesn't ordinarily work in this way, but he works through his word, and he works through communication with his people. And uh, he speaks to Elijah and reminds Elijah that uh, in the turmoil of uh, these days and in the, the upheaval of fire and earthquake and wind, which seems to disrupt everything and seems to turn everything upside down, God's gentle will, His powerful and changing will is still being done. He is still moving His purposes forward and he still has his uh, uh, sovereign will being outworked. And God then shows Elijah the whole picture. God says, yes, Elijah, you are right. The people have uh, rebelled and turned against uh, my word. And he reveals his judgment and he reveals his grace through this relationship, through this communication, through this gentle word. And he says, yep, I've still got work for you to do. I've still got things I want you to do. Go back. Return by the way of the wilderness to Damascus. Anoint a new king and uh, anoint a new prophet to follow from you. And they will bring judgment on the covenant breakers. Because if you remember the covenant uh, at Sinai between God and Moses was a covenant of grace. But it was a covenant which spelled out for those who disobeyed that there would be curses and for those who obeyed there would be blessings uh, and here is it being outworked and he also reminds Elijah that there is a tremendously strong remnant 7,000 who have not bowed the knee who are still part of God's kingdom uh, for whom the gates of hell will not prevail and that in, despite these dark days God is gently saying I am still victorious my purposes are still being worked out and I still have work for you to do so it's a, a story a great a great account of god working in the life of elijah when he's at his wit's end when he is drained and exhausted and he feels god has god's covenant is no longer at work when secular world uh, idolatrous world has uh, won the day despite uh, all his uh, efforts in god's kingdom and in god's cause and god reveals otherwise now i just want i want to apply this chapter and i'm going to do so tightly but then also quite broadly uh, and broaden it beyond the uh, perimeters of this uh, particular passage what lessons can we live what are some of the lessons there's many things but like Cody this morning there's lots of things here we'll only pick out one or two what are some of the things that we can take from this chapter uh, one of them is in our lives uh, and it's an important thing to remember a hugely important thing to remember in our christian lives especially when we're discouraged and especially when we're discouraged by our friends who are not becoming christians uh no matter what we would love to see and, and We wonder if God would simply do more miracles so that people will become believers and see His power and see His glory. Can I just say miracles aren't enough? Miracles aren't enough. And again, I'll I'll maybe just plug into a little bit of what Cody was saying this morning. Um, It's not drama that we need, it's surgery. Corey spoke this morning about the uh, the surgeon's knife. Uh, That God, when He works in our lives... He works in our heart and he changes our heart. And what we need is we need God in our hearts and in the hearts around us. We need God to work in our hearts. And therefore, part of our task is not to be discouraged, but to go back to God to ask him continually to be working in people's hearts so that drama and miracle isn't the answer but prayer uh, to the living god and the recognition of the darkness and blackness of people's hearts will drive us to that i've got a tremendous quote from one of the commentators who is more sympathetic uh, with elijah and it's uh, when he speaks about the limited uh, limitations of evidence and sometimes the frustration of, of revelation just because Uh, Dale Ralph Ralph Davis is the the writer. Just because there's been clear proof on Carmel, that's the previous miracle, chapter 18, doesn't mean Jezebel will receive that proof or that such clear evidence will change her. One can imagine the semi-apocryphal scene. Ahab, her husband, the king, mildly protests, "But, but Jezebel, honey, when Elijah prayed to Yahweh, Fire came down and slurped up everything right there in front of her eyeballs. The queen glares through mascara-laden lashes at Ahab and with that familiar derisive turn of revelant tended lips retorts, So? This response surprises us even if we have swallowed the education fallacy that pervades our culture and governments, i.e. get people the right information and it will change them but it doesn't. Sometimes Christians slip into thinking that if we only get the truth to people or press upon them our most rigorous and cogent arguments, then, but like Jezebel, be your teacher about what the human heart is like. There was a blaze of light on Mount Carmel, but unless Yahweh grants internal light to see the external light, the darkness remains. Yahweh's fire consumed everything except the blindness in Jezebel's mind and the recalcitrance in her will. John 3.19 And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light. This realization must temper all our expectations in our evangelism, in our counseling, and in our preaching because that drives us to prayer. Our best efforts, our sweetest words, our most powerful arguments, our greatest miracles that we could be uh, channels of God using can only ever be part of the story because the darkness of the human heart and because people loving darkness rather than the light we are driven to recognize the need for praying and praying that god will work and god will change and god will act in people's hearts so miracles aren't enough but also we see that god understands god understands uh, what we're like it, well he made us you know that's that, that's the most important thing, isn't it? He understands. You know, sometimes you say, God, you don't understand me. But of course he understands us because he made us. And he knows us intimately. He knows every single one of us. And he knows us in a way that no one else knows us. And he knows exactly what we need. And so we recognize that God will deal with us as we go to him. He will deal with us according to our needs. As he did with Elijah here, so he will do with us uh, especially in our battles and in our struggles and in our depression and in our fear and in our uh, uh, longings and weakness. God understands our struggles. Um, Zephaniah 3.17, The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves, he will take great delight in you. In his love, you will, uh, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Isaiah thirty eighteen. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you, therefore he will rise to show you compassion. He knows and he moves towards us and he rises to show us compassion. And he encourages us with sometimes the simplest of things. Here he sends his angel And his angel brings rest, food, drink. Rest, food, and drink. That's all. No lecture, no sermon, no nice shiny new book tells you seven ways to be a great believer. Just rest, just sleep, and just food. That's great. Uh, He knows exactly what we need and he knows... Their greatest need within that parallel to that is the freedom to talk with him the freedom to speak to him the freedom to be heard you know there's nothing is there more significant than someone of great importance saying i'm willing to listen i'm willing to hear speak to me tell me your complaints tell me your concerns and so he sends those alongside angels alongside to help and to administer and to encourage now i want to slightly go into a a little uh, uh, side road here um, because we might not be angels Uh, i sincerely believe in angels and uh, i believe angels are working on behalf of believers today Uh, Hebrews 1.14, are not all angels uh, ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. I believe that. But I also believe, just as God has angels to do his bidding, we are his body, you and I. We are the friends of angels, okay? We are the people who he often uses to answer the prayers of his people. So I think it's very important for us as believers. Not simply, when we see the brokenness and the hurt and the weakness of others. Not simply, because I think we can use this as an excuse. Not simply to say, I'm praying for you. Because ultimately, that can be quite a cheap thing to say. It doesn't cost a lot. doesn't take a lot of time. doesn't take a lot of effort in many ways. And it can, it can, I think, um, betray an attitude which says, I'll pray for you, um, I'm just handing you over to God. I'm kind of busy today, but I'll, I'll pray for you, but I'm busy, I've got lots to do. So I'm just handing over to God, I'll pray for you, and you go on your way. And we can do that. I think we can, I'm not saying we do, but I think we can sometimes misunderstand prayer in that way where we say that's all God requires of me, to simply just to pray for one another. But I think often we are the answers to our own prayers and God wants to use us in answer to our prayers for one another. He wants us to be his ministering spirits. He wants us to be his angels. He wants us to bring water, food, company, encouragement to one another. That's what he wants of us. That's his will. God understands us and he understands that we need one another. And that that is a powerful and meaningful way uh, that we are to express our grace and to express our understanding. It's a tremendous picture that we have there. God understands. And uh, he gives us what we need as we look to him. And he often will use each of us in that. It's an encouragement to look out and to be ready. Here am I, Lord send me but i think it speaks also uh, briefly we're nearly finished of um the reality of spiritual burdens uh, elijah here he's quite often accused of being a uh, uh, self-pitying you know look at me everyone's left and i i'm the only one left you know god uh, you know, have pity on me as if he's feeling kind of self-pitying about his condition But Elijah shows both in what he says and in the journey he takes back to Mount Sinai that he is concerned about the covenant and he's concerned about God's promises and he's concerned about the brokenness of the people who have turned against God, uh, God's own people who have spurned his love and who have spurned his grace and who have chosen not to worship God, the living God, but idols and the deadness of these idols and he cares about them and he cares his burdens and his his depression and his brokenness is god-centered because he cares about what is happening and these spiritual burdens we will bear often and they are significant for us or maybe we don't do we care about the infidelity in the church or the doctrinal indifference or when God's name and God's purity is uh, trampled over in the lives of believers or those who claim to be believers. Elijah was depressed and he was despondent, but it wasn't about himself. It was about God's name and God's honor. And if you're down tonight and if you're discouraged And if you're discouraged because it's a spiritual discouragement because you weep over the indifference and the careless lives of friends, the blasphemy and the idolatry around you and wondering how we can see the people we're praying for turn to Christ, then that's a good burden to bear and take that to God. Uh, Take it to Him and plead it before Him because God reminds us god will teach us and remind us that he is working in both in judgment and in grace through his word and through his promises the bible it reminds us again and again that god is his kingdom is coming and he is faithful to his word and to his promises drama might enthuse us but god is doing the invisible work of changing hearts turning people from darkness to life and generally I think the growth of God's kingdom will not be by headline and not be by dramatic personalities but will be by the grace of God at work in your and my very ordinary lives and making miracles happen through that through uh us being faithful and committed and loyal and true to his word as i believe elijah was and let's be encouraged that god does have his people just as he had here Uh, he has uh, his people he's building his church none who are to be saved uh, will not be brought into the kingdom We believe he has many people in the city and we're encouraged not to be uh, downcast, not to give up, to look to him, to take our time in this period if we're feeling physically drained and dry to rest, to eat, to drink, to rest, to eat, to drink, to talk to God. Use the time that we have to talk to god remember that he has uh, his church and he will build his church and the gates of hell will not overcome it and we belong to that great work that is coming to its conclusion Uh, so use uh, this time to recuperate renew your spiritual energy and uh, rest and come to him and communicate with him and let him communicate with you gently and yet powerfully in the way he does best let's bow our heads and pray father god we ask and pray that you would teach us from your word that you would remind us who you are you're often just uh, through your word revealed so different from what we think and uh, you were different to what elijah was expecting you were different to david expected you were different To what Mary, uh, your mother expected, Simeon, the disciples, the New Testament church. We are always, as we come to you and as we seek you, we come to be amazed. We come to be able to worship. We come in awe. We come because our A to Z answers of who God is are blown apart by your character. Infinite, eternal, and unchangeable character. Uh, And we will find constantly, as we come to you, um, unbelievable surprises and great truth and a word that is solid, a word that communicates to us truth and absolute reality and sure and certain will. So enable us to soak in your word, uh, not in some kind of intellectual or... uh, merely knowledge knowledgeable way but in a way that interacts with you Jesus as the word incarnate and uh, that understands communication with you, relationship with you through your finished work on the cross. Lord grant us that uh, remarkable spiritual strength. Grant us the help and the guidance and the commitment that comes from looking to you and being uh, refreshed by you and remind us that we too are commissioned by you even in our tiredness uh, as we take rest knowing the work can go on without us as we take rest we can be recommissioned and re-energized to go on to serve you because we have the power of the infinite God who will keep us for the few short years we're here Uh, until he takes us home. Remind us of these great things and encourage us this evening, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.